From the heart of Rune Terror, this is League of Legends Radio with your host, Ponderous Sea Lion. Hello, Summoners. I'm Ponderous Sea Lion, and welcome back to the C9 Hype Train Radio. Hell yeah, let's go, Cloud9. That pentakill was spectacular. This week, I'll be talking about the Bruiser update a little bit, mostly focused on itemization and where Bruisers as a class stand in League of Legends. And I'll also be talking a little bit about the winning mentality that I think has really helped the teams Cloud9 and Origin overcome the perceived disadvantage that Western teams have coming into this and the concept that Eastern teams just have an advantage over Western teams and have for many years and how this has been one of the worlds where this is the closest we've seen it, at least this early on, probably ever, and it'll be really exciting to see how Worlds progresses and what transpires in the next couple weeks. So stick around, and we've got a great episode for you guys. Okay, before I start off this segment, I would like to preface it with the fact that I give Riot a lot of crap for when they screw up, which is what they deserve because they screw up a lot, but in particular recently, itemization has actually been one of their strongest gameplay points, and we can look at that in several ways. We can look at the AP itemization changes, which actually made mage build diversification a lot more flexible than it used to be. It used to be just the three big 120 items, uh, void staff, boots, and that's pretty much, and a mana regen item. And that was a build for a mage. Now we can see the Ryalize, we can see a lot more diversity in build path and build order. Archangels is pretty popular, so good on you for that, Riot. I thought that was really cool. Another thing that they did recently that was good was they created some new items during the Juggernaut update. Today's not the day that I rag on Darius. Balls pentakill, let's go. Today's not the day that I call out Darius for being the um, interestingly balanced uh, champion that he is. Uh, we'll just call him, we won't call him unbalanced, we'll just call him a little lopsided right now. I, I don't want to talk about that right now. I, I, I don't think talking about stuff being overtuned is productive. And this is something that I think people on Reddit and other places could could take a, a leaf out of my book. It's it, it it's not constructive to talk about necessarily a champion being completely overtuned, especially right after a big rework. Like they get it, they're working on it. Now, was it a good idea for Riot to release one of the biggest gameplay updates that we've had in quite a while right before the World Championships? Eh, probably not, but you know. Maybe they won't do that next time. Maybe we'll just wait until after the world's patch to release this. There's an idea. But regardless, I don't think it's impacted worlds too much. Besides the Darius, the Gangplank, the Mordekaiser Permaban, the Fiora. Okay, so it has kind of affected worlds. But that's beside the point. What I want to talk about is the Juggernaut item update and why I think they did a good job with that as well as the AP itemization update. So, the three items that were introduced by Riot Games in patch 5.16, which is the Juggernaut patch, 
were the Dead Man's Plate, Titanic Hydra, and Steric's Gage. Each of these items gives health. Each of them gives some sort of offensive power. Dead Man's less so than others, but it also gives more defensive stats than the others because it also provides armor. And so, of course, all these items are perfectly geared towards bruiser-type champions. Now, Riot has historically had difficulty balancing these bruiser-type champions, because if you go back to Season 1, long time ago, back in the Stone Ages of League of Legends, we wouldn't really see champions that were what we would think of today as bruisers. We would see, like, melee carries, like Trindamir, but there would be no real... And we would see full tanks, like Amumu. But there was no real champions that blended these two together. Like, sure, you can build some defensive items on Trindamere if you want, but there were no champions that were built with the idea of building both offense and defense in their kits. If I'm not mistaken, and there's a, such a high chance that I am, but I believe it was Irelia was one of the first champions that was intended to be built with both offense and defense in mind in her kit. And ever since then, we've seen a lot of Bruiser-type champions come out, a lot of champions that are meant to build a couple defensive items and a couple offensive items, and that's how they're utilized. And ever since their inception, we've also seen the difficulty Riot has had with balancing these champions. So if we look at a Bruiser's role in a team, and yes, I know I'm talking about items, I will get to that. I have to go through this whole big arc spiel, yada yada, before I can get to that, so that it makes sense. Let me wash you in knowledge. And, okay. You're actually choosing to listen to this. I'm not making you. So if we look at a bruiser's role in a fight, it is get to the back line, kill the squishy targets, keep them distracted while your team does other stuff. That sounds pretty similar to what Trindamir does. That sounds similar to what Zed does. That sounds similar to Katarina. Even though those latter champions are meant to be built with full damage, they fill similar roles in a team. There are some differences. For example, if you're playing Renekton or something, especially late game, you become more of a meat shield type champion than you would be in the mid game. Say in the mid game you've built Brutalizer, or I guess Phage now, whatever builds into Black Cleaver. There's no real reason to build Brutalizer on Renekton unless you're 10-0 anymore. But we'll say you've got Phage and Hydra, and we're 22 minutes in, and there's a dragon fight. You've, at this point, really only built damage, so you really fill the role of an assassin more than you fill the role of a tank. Switching to late game when those items get completed, you've got Sunfire, or nobody builds Sunfire anymore because it's severely outclassed. You've got Deadman's, we'll say. You've got Randuin's Omen, and you've got Spirit Visage. Even though you've got some offensive items, you're really more of a meat shield at this point because Renekton, as it is very well known, does not scale as well into the late game as many other champions, so it makes more sense for him to sort of transition roles away from this assassin tile assassin tile assassin style get into the back line and kill people into the more of try to distract the back line while your front line kills people or while your back line kills people i should say the difficulty comes with when these champions get ahead or behind think about the last time you faced a fed irelia 
not only can she jump onto your back line and annihilate your 80 carry in seconds, she's also tanky enough to handle anything that you throw at her. It's extremely frustrating and difficult to balance these champions due to this fact that they have this innate tankiness, they have this innate damage. They're very good at surviving in fights, even when you're throwing a lot of stuff on them. So when they get ahead, they're extremely overbearing, much like assassins. There are very many similarities between the two classes. The other thing that makes them frustrating is that they're some of the best duelists in the game, and they're difficult to stop the split push when they start doing it, especially if they're ahead. It can take... To kill a Fed Irelia, you're going to need at least three people to go up there. Otherwise, they'll just get 2v1'd and die. Almost guaranteed. So, you need to really watch these champions, and if they get out of control, it can be extremely hard to shut them down. The same thing happens when these bruisers get behind. It's They're forced to build defensive items because they can still utilize these items. They can still do a good job with them. They're just not going to be able to have a way for to force the enemy team to focus them. That's the thing that a bruiser does so well. Even if they don't have the damage to necessarily kill the carries outright with one combo, they are enough of a threat that it forces the enemy carries or supports to, say, peel them off or to divert energy and time and resources into stopping them. When you get behind as a bruiser, there's no real reason for the enemy team to start hitting you. Like, if you're playing Renekton and you're 0-6, the enemy team's just going to ignore you and you're just going to get blown up because you're gold-starved, because you're behind. And they're a fairly item-dependent class. They've got decent base damage, but they really need items to be able to achieve what they want to do compared to tanks or supports. They, they exist in a really weird realm between assassins and tanks that is difficult to define and difficult to balance because... Even within the bruiser class, you've got different kinds of bruisers that do different kinds of things. Renekton and Irelia jump onto the back line. Garen just kind of demasias wherever he feels like. It doesn't, he doesn't have a set thing to do in teamfights. And I mean, nobody has a set thing to do in teamfights, quote-unquote, but Garen has a bunch of different stuff. Darius, he likes to hit the back line, but he's just as happy hitting the front line, typically, because he's got that sustainability with his Q. He's got ways to hit multiple enemies, so he's really happy hitting the front line or the back line. It doesn't matter as much for him. And especially because he's got true damage in his kit, which, of course, bypasses... You guys know what true damage is. I'm not explaining that to you. <laughs> he's got that true damage, which works just as well on tanks as it does on squishies. Now you're going to say, but tanks have more HP... Yeah, shut up. I, I know that. I know how true damage works. I know how tanks work. Just shut up. <laughs> numerically it does the same thing to a tank or a squishy that's all I'm saying smartass as I was saying told you it was going to go in a full arc where does the itemization update come into this what the difficulty has been for the longest time is how to keep these champions like Renekton Pantheon Lee Sin relevant in the late game and I know Lee Sin's got his kick but that's really late game that's all Lee Sin's got basically is his kick He's not doing any damage. He's got a slow. I mean, it's not great. It kind of helps. He used to be able to a slow. He used to be able to slow attack speed, which helped keep him relevant late game, because you can jump onto the enemy eighty carry, and significantly reduce their DPS output. I don't think removing that was the right thing to do to nerf him, or at least make it scale more heavily towards the late game because it didn't affect his early game 
too much. It did affect his dueling early game to some extent, but that's what he's supposed to be good at. But it helped keep him relevant in the late game. Now we've got that buff where he does percent health if he hits multiple enemies, something pointless like that. But regardless, these champions have a difficulty making people look at them. They, they just want to jump onto the enemy carries and say, hey, look at me. And the AD carries look at them and then they start hitting them while, the, while your team's carries start doing massive damage back. That's what the bruiser wants to do. Creating items that give the mix of stats that these champions want is something that hasn't honestly happened a lot. Like, we saw it with Sunfire, but Sunfire got nerfed quite a bit, outclassed by new items such as Deadman's Plate, and it's really fallen out. So, seeing these new items, Steric's Gage, Titanic Hydra, and Deadman's Plate, all of them give what Bruisers want. They give AD, or in the case of Deadman's, they give movement speed and uh, a bonus on your next auto attack. So, I'm going to count it as AD. Sue me. It's whatever. They also give health, and in the case of Deadman's Plate, armor. So they really help these champions, and not to mention the Black Cleaver update, which increased the amount of health that Black Cleaver gives, and is also a good item choice, especially if they're going to be forced to hit the front line. If the enemy carries are too safe for whatever reason and you're forced to hit the front line, that's a better item for that. The good thing about these items is that I've played with them quite a bit. I've been playing some Wukong. All the items are really nice on him, and it doesn't feel like any of them are really overpowered. Like, Riot kind of hit this one right on the mark. Champion updates, not quite as much, but the item updates they did a good job on, and I've been playing a little bit of Pantheon, and it really helps him out to have these items, because you can still do what you want to do as Pantheon, which is jump into the back line and not get instantly deleted, but the items still scale well into the late game, like Steric's Gauge giving bonus base damage is actually really nice on a champion like Pantheon or Lee Sin, who has high base damage late game, but not necessarily as good of scaling as you would see with other bruisers like Darius or Irelia. What they did well in this update is rather than forcing these champions that are dependent on gold and need to choose whether to itemize offensively, offensively, or defensively, they give them an option that isn't really ideal for either, but when combined together, creates a good item for their class and is really helpful for them to remain relevant without being overpowered. And you've still got the option to build more offensively or more defensively if you're ahead or behind, respectively. These items are just, if you're doing all right, you want some AD, you want some health, Grab this item. It doesn't give you the best defensive stats in the world, doesn't give you the best offensive stats in the world, but combined together, it creates a really nice item for them that helps them out, makes them stay relevant, and isn't, I would say, I think they actually did a good job tuning these specific items, and they're all pretty balanced and in a good spot right now, so I'd like to see them be used a little bit more. I haven't seen them... I don't, I've seen Deadman's Plate quite a bit at Worlds, but I haven't seen Titanic Hydra or Steric's Gauge as much at Worlds. I'd like to see someone buy it on someone uh, like Darius. We'll see where it goes. Maybe these items aren't as good as I'm giving them credit for, but I think that they did a good job with these, so yay, Riot. Is that like three episodes in a row that I haven't just completely ripped on Riot? I think it might be. <laughs> Thank you.
Who expected round one pools at Worlds to go the way that they did? The answer is nobody. If you say that you did, then you are a dirty liar because nobody could have foreseen anything that's come out of this except for Group A. That kind of made sense. But even Pain Gaming beat Flash Wolves. Like, this Worlds has been the best World Championship League of Legends has ever seen, and I'm super excited to have been here to witness it. Group D, Origin goes 3-0 against the top-seeded Chinese team and a Korean team, and TSM, whatever, ignore TSM. Fight me, TSM fanboys. But Group B, Cloud9 goes from 9th to 7th to 3rd to 1st in their group after round one pools. Nobody expected it. Everyone said AHQ Invictus Fanatic. Cloud9 was everyone's fourth pick. It was amazing to see them come together the way that they did. And Bulls go to freaking Pentakill. I, I was I actually jumped out of my seat when that happened and screamed yes and people were looking at me, but whatever. It's esports, baby. Are, are we real sports yet? <laughs> group A, Counter Logic and Koo Tigers. Yeah, it's pretty much what we expected. Group C, also pretty much what we expected. But Group B and Group D, Origin and Cloud9, after everything that's happened, North America is only one game behind Korea. Korean stands 7-2 and two right now, and North America stands 6-3. and three. That is such a huge difference from what we've seen in the past that it's just, it's staggering. And one of the reasons that I think Western teams have done so well this year compared to other years is honestly mentality. First of all, there's no super team like Samsung White this year. I honestly think there are four or five teams that could potentially take the whole tournament. In fact, let me just rattle those off real quick. I think Cloud9 could take it. I think Fnatic could take it. I think Origin could take it. I honestly think KT could take it, potentially. LGD, if they get their act together, which they're not going to, and they're going to get knocked out. EDG could take it. SK Telecom could take it. And CLG, if they don't pull a CLG, has the potential to take it. But I'm, I'm calling it right now. Cloud9 is going to win the whole thing. Calling it now. I told everyone they were going to beat Fnatic. I'm calling it now. They're going to win Worlds. And if they don't, you can just call me a dumbass on Twitter or whatever. I don't really care. <laughs> but one thing that I've seen more from these two undefeated Western teams that I haven't seen from the West in the past at World Championships is the winner mentality. And the winner mentality is extremely simple. The winning mentality is just telling yourself that you're going to win. There was a study conducted, and this is, applies especially to Cloud9, reverse gauntlet sweep anyone, but people who are good liars are better at pulling things out of nowhere, like the reverse sweep. They're better at doing comebacks. And the reason why is because they lie to themselves and say, we got this, we can win this. I remember when Cloud9 was down 0-2 against Team Liquid, I think. Pretty sure it was Team Liquid. And you could just hear High on the mic just talking the whole team up and saying, yeah, guys, we got this. This is easy. We're totally going to make it to Worlds. And he believed every word of it. And they come back. And they go from a 0-2 deficit 
to winning three to two. It's that that concept that they believe that they can win that makes them win. We've seen things in the past that the Western teams would go into the world championships with the mentality of, well, let's just see how far we can make it. That's why the West never wins. I can, there's also other reasons. There's the more esports-centric culture that exists in Eastern countries versus Western countries, like the prevalent mindset that it's just video games that exists in a lot of parents' minds here, and I'm sure it happens over there as well, but it's more integrated into everyday life over there than it is here. We also have seen a more dedicated infrastructure over there of coaches, of of noticing the value of these players and really working and having bigger teams and more resources dedicated to winning than we usually see over here. This year, Cloud9 and Origin especially have supremely impressed me. I have been extremely impressed with both these teams. They completely blew mine and everyone else's expectations out of the water because they know how to win. XPeke is one of the greatest Western players and one of the greatest players of all times, of all times, of all time in League of Legends. He's won countless times. He knows what it feels like to win and he knows what it feels like to lose. And you can be sure that he likes to win more than he likes to lose. So he knows how to bring a team together. These guys who started off in a challenger series together and entered and are now undefeated in the world championship thus far. He brought these guys together, and he showed them how to win. And I mean, of course, they're not all new players. They're not, they're not new to this, but he has really shown a lot of leadership and shown these guys what it feels like to win and told them, yeah, we can do this. We can, we can easily beat this Korean team, this Chinese team. We can beat these guys. Of course, LGD did have a complete nervous breakdown <laughs> at the World Championships, which got a pair of coaches, but, you know, I'm staying out of it. But <laughs> the same thing with Cloud9 and High. And High, well, first off, let me define micro and macro level play really quickly. Micro level play is just you. You controlling your character, last hitting, farming, all that kind of stuff. Macro level play is how you fit into your team strategy and your global presence around the map. High's macro level play and understanding is phenomenal. One of the best probably of all time. He understands this game and knows how to play it. His micro level play, especially when he was in the mid lane, is lacking due to his especially due to his wrist injuries and maybe due to him not being the best mechanical player anymore. But when he was taken off the Cloud9 roster for a while because of his wrist injuries, people were people were seeing his micro-level play because it's more obviously viewable, I guess is the word I'm looking for. You can see him die to Pobelter 1v1 and criticize him for being a bad mid laner. It's harder to see him, the way he coordinates with his team and all that. So when he left Cloud9, people thought that when they get a better mid laner, that's all it's going to take for them to start winning games. And then they went on to have their worst season of all time because they lacked his shot calling and his winner's mentality, which was driving that team so fiercely towards victory a lot of the time. 
They'd already been having a rough season. Without their shot caller, they were lost. And that's why they were in ninth, and then they got seventh afterwards. But that's the worst season Cloud9's ever seen, by far. Seeing High leave and then come back and seeing the complete 180 it's done for this team really shows you his value as a leader and as a player. I also think, and this is just an opinion of mine, that he is much more suited to the jungle role than the mid lane role. Maybe when his mechanics were up to snuff with the other mid laners, that was a better place for him. But now that he's got wrist injuries, it's more difficult for him to make the extremely fancy plays. Although, ooh, that Lee Sin has been looking nice. I've always thought of him as being more of a jungler, if that makes any sense. Uh, I see the things that he does, and he likes to shot call and likes to make these plays around the map, and he's extremely confident in his abilities to do so. And again, that confidence comes from the winner's mentality. He knows what it feels like to win games. He knows how to win games, and he knows how to motivate his team to win games. That's what it's going to take for Western teams to win a world championship. That's what it's going to take for anyone to win a world championship is conviction in their own skills and conviction in their team. Nobody ever won a world championship when they were unconfident of themselves. That just never happens because you have to believe in yourself before other people can believe in you and you have to believe in yourself in order to do well. That's just a fact of life and that's a fact of competition. And it's something that these two teams, Origin, Cloud9, and of course SK Telecom, can't count them out. They're just not underdogs, and everyone kind of expected this to happen for them. But for these two Western teams to go undefeated, that's what it took. Nobody else really believed in them. Maybe some of the diehard fans did, but at the end of the day, most people who would looked at stats, who looked at past performances, would not have seen this coming. And that's what makes this the best world championships I've ever seen for League of Legends. There are no real powerhouses this year like yeah skt is the favorite to win it all but i think giving them a huge edge against any of the other teams at this tournament is a little bit overconfident in believing on skt's behalf so i'm gonna stick around i'm gonna watch all the games well most of the game the good games i'm gonna watch the games that i think are gonna be good and we'll see what happens at the 2015 League of Legends World Championships. All right, guys, I'm calling it now. Cloud9 is going to win Worlds. I'll be rooting for them every step of the way, even if they don't win. And I'd really like to see some more great games at Worlds. If you guys enjoyed the episode, be sure to follow me on Twitter at LO Legends Radio. That's at LO Legends Radio. That's at LO Legends Radio. You can follow me on Twitter at LO Legends Radio. If you guys enjoyed the video, it really helps me out. Um, really personal to me for you to follow me on Twitter at L Legends Radio. Okay, I'm done for real. But you should you should really follow me out. Uh, anyways, I've finally gotten on on top of things, and we've got a new episode coming out every Wednesday. So, really looking forward to getting this completely down. And I think I've been doing a good job recently of being more consistent with releasing podcast again if you guys enjoy it please just tell one of your friends about it and that really does help me out a ton with growing my audience and being able to do more things with the show so if you enjoyed it just tell a friend about me and i sincerely thank you for that and as always i'll catch you on the flippity flop
This has been League of Legends Radio.